Good morning, everybody. How you doing today? Yeah, I'm glad to be here. Welcome to all of you who are joining in online, wherever you may be. Would you just take a moment, fill out the online connect card if you actually are watching this on the Connection Live service. Uh, if you happen to be watching this on YouTube later, would you just uh, go ahead and hit the like button on that? And you can even subscribe to our channel, which would be for all of us, just a great way to help people find out about Connection. It'll get suggested more if we like it more. So there you go. Uh, have you ever been doing something and the warning bells went off? Or maybe you were just about to do something and it just felt like, I don't know if I should do this or not. And you actually listened to the voice and you stopped. Do you ever wonder what would have happened if you'd gone ahead? You, know, you ever wonder if you just persisted, if it would have worked out differently? I'd be curious actually to know if you've had one of those kinds of experiences. You just let me know, even if you're online, just maybe write it in the connect card. Uh, what happened when you went on or what happened when you stopped? I actually had this happen several years ago, and it turns out sometimes the wisest thing you can do is stop. I was out mountain biking with a group of friends. We were down at the Berryman Trail, which is down in southern Missouri, kind of near Potosi, Mark Twain National Forest. If you want to picture it on a map, it's just a loop, 26 miles of rocky, rooty, technical mountain biking. It's lots of ups and downs and lots of crashes, and I've actually been to the ER after riding that trail. We're out there. It was a hot summer morning. We'd been riding for maybe an hour. We pulled into a clearing, and we took a break there. And as we pulled out of the trees into the clearing, we could see where the trail went. So we just stopped, got a snack, got some water, got back on our bikes, went, went on. to At the time, to us, was the obvious trail out of the meadow, and almost immediately started climbing straight up. Really hard stuff. And the branches were across the trail, and there were briars, and there were mosquitoes. And we're like, man, this trail is harder than we thought it would be. Maybe that should have been a tip-off we weren't on the trail anymore. <laughs> but the whole trail was so hard. I mean, come on. So we're riding probably 10 minutes straight up. We finally get to the ridge top, and things opened up, and it was actually like a dirt path or forestry service road. So we just went, great, we can finally ride. And we, we then, from that point, rode for another 10 minutes or so, just pedaling really hard because we were so happy to not have to be thinking about every single move. And at some point, one of us yelled out, has anyone seen a trail marker recently? The Berryman Trail's marked with little white diamonds on the trees, and we all stopped and went, no, I don't think it's been a, oh, it's been a while since the last time I saw one. We pulled out our map, and we looked, and we said, let's just keep an eye on this, but maybe we're not on the trail, because on the map, we could see that meadow that we had stopped at. There was actually the trail, and there was a forestry service road that also went out of the meadow, just right almost next to it, and we thought, I bet we're on that service road. And we rode a little longer, and we didn't see any more markets. And we went, yep, we're on that service road. And so what we did is we decided, because we were now inside the circle of the trail, that forestry service road would cross the trail again. We're not going to backtrack 20 or 30 minutes down to that meadow. We're just going to go ahead and ride to where it crosses the trail again. Yeah, we're thinking so well. This is one of the second dumb thing we did that day. So we keep riding on this uh, what we now know is not the trail, but we're just keep waiting. Every, any moment, we're going to cross the trail and rejoin in progress, and we don't. And so we ride for another probably 15, 20, 30 minutes, and, and it starts getting narrower and narrower again. It's getting more and more difficult. It's like just the next. And at some point along there, one of our group had a flat tire. And so he said, hey, guys, just go on to find the trail. I'll catch up with you. I'm not saying that's a good idea. If you're already lost, you shouldn't split your group up, but we weren't using good judgment, so we, just, we left them there, and we kept going. And so then, this is a cautionary tale. There's, so now there's fewer of us. We keep riding. Another guy almost immediately goes, man, I am so hot. I just need to, I'm just going to go back and wait for the guy who had the flat tire. You guys go on. We'll catch up to you. Just wait for us when you get to the trail. So the rest of us ride on, and as it's going on and on and on, it's getting narrower 
another of our group, so there's like three of us now, he goes, I just think this is dumb. I'm just going to go back to the meadow where we were lost first and, and find the trail. And I'm like, okay, sucker, we'll go find the trail and we'll stand there and wait for you guys when you get there. So now there's two of us and uh, we ride, the trail then drops off into like a ravine and a creek and I'm pushing my bike. We're not even riding anymore. We're just doing hike a bike. And the buddy with me, my brother-in-law, goes, this is dumb. I'm gone, too. So he turns around. I'm like, fine. I'll just be the lone survivor waiting at the tree. It's just right over there. I'm sure it's just right over this next ridge top. And so he leaves. And it's like an Agatha Christie novel at this point. And then there were none. It's just me. <laughs> and I, I, I went on. I could hear him riding or pushing his bike away. And I'm going through the mud. And the mosquitoes are attacking me. I'm bleeding from all the briar scratches. And I'm starting to push the bike up the ridge to that where I'm just convinced the trail is right there at the top. And I just, for a moment, it just hit me. What are you doing? And I literally stopped like this, halfway up a steep climb. I don't know if it's the Holy Spirit. I don't know if it was just wisdom kicking in. I don't know if it was the fact I thought, man, I'm a dad now. I can't do dumb things like this anymore. Yeah, I don't want this story to uh, lost St. Charles man, county man found two years later in the Mark Twain National Forest. So <laughs> I stood there for a second and went, I, I, like there's two parts of my mind, literally. The part of my mind who could see me triumphantly standing on the trail waiting for the guys to ride up and the part of me that knew this is probably not wise. I should just go ahead. And, and, and I did. I turned around and I caught up to my brother-in-law. We caught up to the other guys. We found the guy who had a flat tire. We went back to the meadow. We literally went to the place where we'd ridden in and stood there. And when we looked across the meadow again, what hadn't been obvious before was completely obvious to us now. There's the trail we were supposed to be on. There's the forestry service road that we thought we were on. And there is a logging road that we didn't even see, but that was the one we were actually on. And when we looked at the map with that in mind, we weren't inside the circle of the trail at all. We were ever increasingly further away from the trail, every pedal stroke, every step that we took. We were going deeper and deeper into the Mark Twain National Forest. We would not have crossed the trail ever. Well, if we'd gone all the way around the globe, we would have crossed it again. Sometimes the wisest thing you can do is to stop. Sometimes things only get better when you turn around. Sometimes the best stories are not what you persisted and did anyway in spite of good judgment, but the best stories sometimes come from the things you decided to quit. So we're in this series. We're actually closing it out today. It's legal, right? There are so many things in, in America that are legal. It's okay. There are even many things that are culturally acceptable. They're even encouraged. But a Christian doesn't simply hold themselves to a standard of what can I get away with or what's legal. We care about what Jesus taught. We care about his example. We hold ourselves to a higher standard. We know that God has something more in mind for us than what we would get if we just followed everyone else around us and did whatever we could do. And, and so we've been asking in this series, it may be legal, but what does the Bible say? What does wisdom say? What does the, the conscience that God gave you tell you? What's, in, what's the most loving thing to do with the life that God gave you? in terms of the people around you. And so as we've gone through the series, we've realized sometimes there's things that you need to stop. There's some things that you just don't want to put into your life anymore. And I like what Pastor Craig Rochelle said on a different context, but I think this certainly applies here. Such a wise thing he said. The decisions that we make today determine the stories that we tell tomorrow. Isn't that true? And if we're all honest, couldn't we say that man, there's some stories I don't even want to tell from my past. And you, like all of us have those things that we regret where we just didn't stop. We persisted. We went on in, in spite of many warnings from people who care about us. And, 
And those are the things you look back and go, I really wish I could go back to my younger self and tell him or her some things. I wish that I could go get a do-over with what I know now. Because the things that we're doing now create the stories we tell tomorrow. And, and if you have some things in your life that you regret, you're in good company. We all have that. And we don't really throw rocks at each other here. We just lean into what the Lord's trying to do with us from here forward. Because today is a fresh start. Today, you're right now making the stories you're going to be telling in the future. And you can't change the past, but man, you have control over what your future looks like. And God wants to help you write a better story for your future. So maybe we need to look at what that could be for you. There's a great example of people who actually did this 2,000 years ago in the Bible. And I invite you to turn there today because I want you to see this. This is a powerful example of people who had been living one way and were fine with it, but then stopped. And it made all the difference for them. And so if you want to find Acts 19 in the Bible... And Acts, as we've found before, we've talked about this in several weeks past, Acts is the account of how the church began and how it spread across the world just in a matter of decades. So you're going to find Acts 19. If you actually have a paper version of the Bible, you might want to preload another one, and you want to just go ahead and find Ephesians. It's just several pages forward. So we're going to be in Acts 19 and then Ephesians chapter 4. And just a little context of what's happening here. This is several years into the church. The Apostle Paul has now been going around planting churches and telling people about Jesus. This is the same Paul who wrote a number of the things that are actually in the Bible in the New Testament. He wrote them as letters back to the Christians that he had met and who had actually maybe been become Christians because of him. So in Acts 19, it says, Paul traveled through the interior regions till he reached Ephesus on the coast. So now you're thinking of Ephesus. That's in what is now Turkey. Down in verse 8, it says, Paul, as it was his custom, he went into the synagogue because Paul grew up Jewish and he had a heart for Jewish people. So he always made it a point to, first of all, go to the Jewish worship places and tell them about Jesus. So he did that. And he went to the synagogue and started talking about Jesus for three months. And then what happened invariably was the Jewish people would get abusive and offensive. So Paul left, and that happened there in Ephesus. So he left the synagogue. He took all the people who had become Christians with him. And they went over to the lecture hall of a man named Tyrannus. And Paul then held daily discussions there. And it says in verse 10, this went on for the next two years so that people throughout the province of Asia, both Jews and Greeks, heard the word of the Lord. Paul actually spent three years in Ephesus preaching and teaching, and he led a lot of people to Jesus. And just can you imagine the Apostle Paul every day giving lectures in in the lecture hall of Tyrannus? It must have been a phenomenal thing to just learn from him every single day. Now, some really cool, miraculous things happened there. This was God's way of saying what Paul's telling you is the truth. This is crazy to me. It says God, in verse 11, gave Paul the power to perform unusual miracles. I already think miracles are unusual, so these must be really extraordinary. Here's what they were. When handkerchiefs or aprons that had merely touched his skin were placed on sick people, they were healed of their diseases, and evil spirits were expelled. It's just crazy to me. Just that Paul happened to be in somebody's kitchen, and he put his hand on the stove and touched the apron, and somebody took that apron and said, hey, guess what? You don't have cancer anymore. God was doing these things through things that Paul had touched. And evil spirits were cast out. I like how it just kind of flippantly says that. And for some of you, you might be going, oh, there's such a thing as evil spirits? The Bible clearly presents a world in which this is the case. But what I want you to see, first of all, here is just that lives were being changed in Ephesus. These people, many of them grew up worshiping idols. They worshiped what we call Greek mythology. That was just church for them. And they're turning from that to Jesus. They're writing a new story for their life. They've stopped living the way their culture is living And they're turning towards Jesus. And so they've gone from, you know, guilty to forgiven and and dead to alive and from ashamed to honored. 
And Jesus is making this difference in their lives. And there is that supernatural element. There were people who actually had been engaged with evil spirits or even were oppressed or filled with demons. And we find out about this. You, if, you, if you're wondering about, is that stuff really real? Listen to what happened next. This is a true story. Acts 19.13. There were a group of Jews traveling from town to town casting out evil spirits. They tried to use the name of the Lord Jesus in their incantation, saying, I command you in the name of Jesus, whom Paul preaches, to come out. See, they weren't Christians themselves, but they knew that Paul had this power, so they're trying to dovetail on his power to build a name for themselves. Seven sons of Sceva, a leading priest, were doing this. This is creepy. One time when they tried it, the evil spirit replied, Oh, I know Jesus, and I know Paul, but who are you? Then the man with the evil spirit leaped on them, overpowered them, attacked them with such violence, they fled from the house naked and battered. Now, I know this is not a message about demons, but this is absolutely true. There are malevolent evil spirits in the world who want nothing more than to destroy your life. And it may be something like, well, okay, maybe that happened 2,000 years ago. Does that happen now? Actually got a message. We talked about this a couple of years ago in one of our Asking for a Friend series. So if you want to go back to the archives of the Connection Christian Church message series, you can go see. We talked all about, are demons real? Do they exist now? And one of the things you want to learn from the seven sons of Sceva here is there is uh, another aspect to reality than what we can just see. There is a spiritual dimension. There are evil spirits, and you want to be very careful accessing this part of reality because it doesn't end well for human beings when we do that. This is why God so strongly warns us against sorcery, divination, idolatry, reaching out with witchcraft to the spirit world because you don't know who's on the other side of that phone call when you make it. And you may be able to initiate that contact, but that doesn't mean you can close the door. So many people have found themselves in bad situations, reaching out to the divine, as they see it, to the supernatural for help and assistance. And you're not talking to somebody who wants to help you. I kind of wonder some of the really horrible, evil things that we see in the world right now. I think like how some of these people don't seem smart enough to figure this out on their own. And you think, well, is there a malevolent evil spirit whispering in their ear, teaching them to be smarter in evil ways than they would have ever figured out on their own? This is why Jesus very clearly says, look, if you want divine help, if you need intervention, you should just ask your heavenly father because he's completely good. You should pray to God, not reach out to an idol, not do a, a seance, don't do something with witchcraft or sorcery or any of that stuff. It's not going to end well for you. And it didn't end well for the, the seven sons of Sceva. They got a beat down. And if you wonder if this is a true story, word got out. Everybody knew this happened. Verse uh, 17 of Acts 19, story of what happened spread quickly all through Ephesus. Pause here. I don't know how you view biblical cities and biblical stuff. You might think that we're more sophisticated now. 2,000 years ago, Ephesus was a leading city in the world. Those were highly educated, intelligent people. They weren't easily fooled. If they got creeped out by this, there was something there to be creeped out by. And so a solemn fear descended on the city, and the name of the Lord Jesus was greatly honored, as it should be. And many who became believers, they became Christians, they confessed their sinful practices. Another, a number of them who had been practicing sorcery brought their incantation books, burned them at a public bonfire. The value of the books was several million dollars. So the message about the Lord spread widely, and it had a powerful effect. I'm, that's a powerful thing right there. Someone who spent their entire lives seeking the, the divine through sorcery says, no, I'm a Christian now. That's what I used to do for a living. I'm not doing that anymore. 
They even, and I want you to pay attention to this because it's easy to go, whoa, book burning. Is that what Christians stand for? Who did the burning? People who owned their own sorcery books. No one went to their house and dragged it out and threw it in a bonfire. These are people who said, I've got this library that I've spent millions of dollars amassing, but it's not going to do me any good anymore. This is not who I am anymore. This stuff is unhealthy. I don't want my kids. I don't want my grandkids. I don't want anyone else getting this when I'm gone. I am going to take the stuff that I spent my money on, and I'm going to give it to God. I'm going to burn it. I'm not going to ever let that be a part of my life anymore. This is a choice that they made. They had been doing this, but they stopped. Of their own free will, they said, I'm turning away from that, never going to be able to go back to it again. It was a powerful, literal symbol to everyone to say, this is not who we are anymore. And it went up in smoke because they said, it's time to stop. You know, sometimes the things that God calls on you to, to stop may actually be sinful. You know, sometimes we think about some things might not be right or wrong. They're just unwise. Some things that God calls on you to, to let go of because you're a Christian now are literally wrong and they're sinful. And you might be thinking, I don't know that I actually know what sins are. And I get it. Growing up, I had lots of people tell me things were sins that I kind of now know. That wasn't a sin. You just, I don't know where you got it. It wasn't the Bible didn't say it's a sin. You just like don't like it. So you call it a sin. But the Bible does actually teach us what things are that are sinful that miss the mark with what God wants. That's why I wanted you to go to Ephesians because, and we're going to go there now, Ephesians 4. It's after this time that Paul was in Ephesus with these people and so many hundreds, if not thousands, became Christians, he later wrote a letter back to the churches there in Ephesus. And that's what we have in our Bible is the book of Ephesians. And, and that's why I wanted you to go to Ephesians 4 because he reminds them, hey guys, you know what you used to be like? And let's go ahead and talk about what needs to go away in your life. Some things are sinful. And so it's like what he says down in uh, verse 21 of chapter 4. You've heard about Jesus. Paul says, you've heard it from me, and you've learned the truth that comes from him. So in light of that, throw off your old sinful nature and your former way of life, which is corrupted by lust and deception. And, you know, you, verse 24 says, put on your new nature, created to be like God, truly righteous and holy. And then he gets really specific with the kinds of sins that we need to get rid of. Verse 25, stop telling lies. That may be a way that you found useful to get what you want, to get people motivated to do something. You don't do that anymore. You tell each other the truth. Verse 26, don't sin by letting anger control you. And I would just point out real quick here, the sin is not in being angry. That's just to be human. The sin is what you do when you are angry, what you say when you're angry. We're not going to go there anymore. Verse 28, if you're a thief, quit stealing. Use your hands for good hard work. Get some money so you can be generous with other people. Verse 29, don't use foul or abusive language. Everything you say should be helpful and build other people up. Verse 30, don't bring sorrow to God's Holy Spirit by the way that you live. Uh, verse 31, these are sins as well. Get rid of bitterness, rage, anger, harsh words, slander, all types of evil behavior. Do you think, what's a sin? This is it. That doesn't belong in your life anymore. Verse 3, let there be no sexual immorality or impurity or greed among you. Such sins have no place among God's holy people. Obscene stories, verse 4, foolish talk, coarse jokes, this is not for you. If you want to know what God wants to get out of your life, these are the things. And you might be thinking, holy cow, what kind of a church was that? All that was in the church? Those are the Christians were doing all the stealing and lying and being angry and obscenity and immorality. Yeah, what kind of a church was that? It's like a church filled with normal people. It's kind of like a church like this church. Sorry if you're online thinking about attending. Just got to be real with you. But, you know, that's you too probably. It's all of us. Our stories are messy. 
It's the parts we tell people and the parts we don't, but it's okay because God knew all of it before he decided to accept you and he invited you to be part of his family and he helps you get rid of this stuff. But there are some things that just genuinely need to say, that's who I used to be, but it's not who I'm anymore and I'm gonna start living consistently with who I am now and who I'm becoming and these things I'm going to stop. It's not gonna be who I am anymore. Like in verse 10 and verse 11 of Ephesians 5, Paul said here, you know what? Carefully determine what pleases the Lord and you can do that. You can put thought to, what would Jesus want me to do? If he was living my life right now, if he had to go to my job, if he went to school with the people I go to school with, if he was related to the people I'm related with, what would please him? Would it be what I'm doing, or would he want me to do something different? You can figure that out. And he says, take no part in worthless deeds of evil and darkness. Instead, expose them. Flip the light on. Point to things that aren't right. What does Jesus expect? And if you're honest with yourself, you this morning probably can think of some things in your life that don't please him. We all can. That's where you start. You know, what is it that I'm doing that I know I can do better at? With God's help, I'm going to start thinking about how I can change that. I don't know, maybe for you, you think it's something in the area of your own uh, personal well-being. Maybe if the Lord looked at your, your life and your well-being, he'd say, look, I just think there's some things you're doing that's it's hurting your health, it's hurting your relational health. Maybe it's something in the area of your finances, and you know, you look at it, it's just not what it should be. Maybe it's in the area of your emotion and your uh, anger management, and you like, I think this is the thing where I can please the Lord better here. Whatever it is that pleases the Lord, you take it seriously. And then you go down into verse 15 and see what Paul said there. Here's what you do. You just be careful how you live. Don't live like fools. And he's not being derogatory. He's just saying the people around you don't know God, so they're not going to live very well. Don't go where they're going. Don't do what they do. But live like those who are wise. Make the most of every opportunity. Don't act thoughtlessly, but understand what the Lord wants you to do. You be careful. You just, if you just do what everybody else around you is doing, you're going to end up like everybody around you ends up. And if their lives are a mess and you do what they do, why would you expect your life to turn out any differently? It's time to start thinking, what does the Lord want me to do? What's the wise thing to do? And in light of that, <coughs> excuse me, I want to give you just two very simple things, very practical things as I wrap this up. And these are a couple of questions that are easy to ask but hard to answer. This is worthy of maybe taking some time today after lunch, maybe some time this week as you're just having some quiet time with God, maybe grab a coffee early in the morning and just sit down and think. First one is, where is my current path taking me? Because that, you think about where, wherever we end up, ultimately as a result of all the choices that we made up to that point, right? It's like what Pastor Andy Stanley so famously said, it's, in, it's direction, not intention, that determines destination. You may want to end up in Florida, but if you're on 55 North, are you going to end up in Florida? You're going to end up in Chicago. Do you really want that? Nobody wants that. <laughs> Excuse me. Sorry, if you're watching from Chicago, we love you too. It's, it's your direction, not your intent. I intended to end up in Florida. Yeah, but you're not going the right direction. Where is your life currently? Where are your choices taking you now? Are you just hoping something magically, miraculously flips it for you? How about today start making some choices that determine a better destination for tomorrow? Where's your current path taking you? There's something that uh, Dr. Henry Cloud talks about. He calls it playing the whole movie. And this has been one of the most amazing insights I've ever read. And he talks about how sometimes when you watch a movie, you can pretty much see where it's going. You can do that with your life. You can sit right here at this point in your life and just say, I'm just going to play the rest of the movie. If I keep living the way I am now, where's this movie going to end? And do I like that? 
He talks about talking to a woman in a law office. She was not an attorney. She was working there, though, and she said she really wanted to be an attorney. And Dr. Cloud asked her, why aren't you? And she said, every time I start, I think about three years of law school, and I just stop. And he said, okay, let's think about this. Are you going to be somewhere three years from now? Yeah, of course. Would you rather be graduating from law school and taking the bar exam? Or would you rather still be sitting in this office three years from now wishing that you were an attorney? That's completely... Play the whole movie forward. You're going to be somewhere a year from now, three years from now. Where are your financial choices taking you? Where are your relational choices taking you? You We talked about a couple weeks ago, Pastor Truman talked about going uncensored. Is there something there in your life that you just play the movie forward and you go, this is just not taking me to the place that I want to go? Uh, is there something in your relationship with God? Do you, you feel like, okay, I'm here today. I get credit for that, right? But are you doing things actively to move closer to God? Are you engaging in the Bible on a daily basis? Are you talking to him in prayer? Are you doing things that are moving you closer to God? Or do you see maybe if I play the movie forward a year from now, I'm not really closer to God. In fact, maybe I'm cold to him because I'm just not really making that a priority. You think about just something as simple as, but profound, my choices with my health. Are there things that you're ignoring now? Maybe maybe you have a dream of being somewhere like, I want to see my grandkids do this, or I want to be there for that. Are your current choices taking you there? Think about your drinking. Do you find if you play the movie forward, I'm actually drinking more than I used to, and if I'm honest with myself, a year from now, I will probably be drinking in even more in greater quantities. Do you even maybe see that if you continue on the pathway you're on, there's going to be some legal troubles, some relational troubles? Just play that movie forward and decide right now where that's going to end. Because with God's help, you can not only say, where's my path taking me, but you can ask this second question, which is so difficult but so important to ask. What do I need to stop? In light of what God wants for my life, in light of what God's good, pleasing, and perfect will is, the things that he already tells me, if I put this off limits for you, it's because it's, I, it's my love for you, and I know it's just going to hurt you. Is there something in your life right now? You might think, oh, there's an overwhelming number of things that are, that I mean, let's just pick one. And with God's help, let's talk about it. And I want you to know this, if you haven't been here for a while, or if you're newer here, this is a safe place to figure this stuff out. We're here for each other. We care so much about what God has in store for your future. And and the thing that you fear, like if I talk to somebody, if I go public in any way with this, with my life group or with a pastor, get past that. First of all, just confess it to God, repent of it, talk to someone, and you're on your way to creating a better story for your future. You know, I don't know where you're at with all of this right now, but if there is a voice in your head that's telling you to do some stuff, maybe for you it's not even something that's sinful. Maybe it's just that you have to stop doing something that's okay so you can make room for something that's truly good, truly healthy, truly beneficial to your life, to your faith. Just play the whole movie. Don't get discouraged. God already knows exactly how much time he has to work with you, and he's really good. I've seen people turn their lives over to the Lord in their 80s and 90s and already just immediately see differences. It's never too late to turn to God. You know what you need to stop doing? Stop making excuses. Stop letting fear get in the way of what God has called you to. It's going to be okay. Right now, you can decide to do something different and better. There's so many things you could do, but let's do the wise thing. Let's do the healthy thing. Let's do the thing that is in God's love, the perfect thing to do. Will you pray with me right now? 
Father, we do come before you and uh, humble, just aware of how inadequate we are to fix ourselves. So uh, unaware, maybe sometimes we have these big blind spots to the damage we've done to ourselves and others. But we, we love you, we trust you, or we're learning to. Many of the people here, I'm, I'm maybe pr- praying for people who are unsure how you are and what you're like. Will you just convince them of how much you love them, how much you care for them, the grace that you have that can overcome anything? Jesus, thank you for giving your life for us. And in every way, will you just lead us to the things that are the life that you intended for us to have, the one that we are so thankful to live. And I pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen.